this is Levi Sharp, and uh, he came forward last week. I think he'd called before that, and uh, David had been meeting with him. Go ahead and, you might want to take your shoes off there, unless you want to get them wet. <laughs> but uh, Levi placed his faith in Christ several years back, and like many people, um, probably had a detour or two in his life, like we all do, and, and it's, it's amazing how God can use uh, those detours as pivotal circumstances uh, to draw us closer to him, and so God has been really working on Levi uh, lately, and he has uh, wanting to take this step of baptism. He's pretty excited about it, and we are as well. I know he met with David this week, and uh, I'm really excited to see um, you know, we baptize kids. We've got three more uh, baptisms in the second service. <clears throat> but I love it when I see an adult get in the water at this season of life. And so we're happy for you today and, and, and excited to be a part of this special time. So, Levi, I'll ask you <clears throat> the two questions. Number one is, have you placed your faith in Christ? And are you wanting to follow him today as a disciple? All right. Well, because of your public profession of faith in him, in obedience to the command of Jesus, who said, baptizing all the, the disciples that we're making, right? I baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in his death, raised to walk with him in a new life. There you go, my friend. Uh, you want me to start with you, Deidre? So Deidre is a fiance of my buddy Shane Lewis. I've known Shane for since he was a little kid, and uh, we got to know Deidre through him. And uh, she was saved at an early age, but had never been baptized. And so she wants to uh, be baptized today. Um, so I'll have you go ahead and step into the water. As I said in the first service, it's always, you know, you see... Little, little guys get baptized, and that's always exciting, but I love when I see adults taking this step too, understanding you know, what baptism is and, and just taking that, that very important step in our faith. And so I'll ask you the, the same questions that I ask everyone is, have you placed your faith in Christ, and do you want to follow him as a, as a disciple? Okay. Well, because of your public profession of faith in him and obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I'm buried with him in his death. Raised to walk with him in a new life. This is Ambry, Peter's daughter, and she also wants to come being baptized today. So we had a chance to visit, I guess it's Friday evening, and uh, really cool to get to know these these ladies. So, Ambry, I'll ask you the same questions I asked mom. Have you placed your faith in Christ? All right. And do you want to follow him as a disciple also? All right. Because of your public profession of faith in him and the obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in his death. Raised to walk with him in a new life. And this little guy... Step in there, buddy. I've known Daxon since he was a little guy. His family lived here in Canyon, came to church here at Living Water back in the old building a long time ago, and uh, they moved to Lubbock. And so uh, the cool thing about Daxton is, uh, you know, when the kids are small, we, we do a baby dedication. I always give them a letter. A lot of people don't know this, but if your child was dedicated, they get a letter that they're to read on their 13th birthday. And mom posted that a few years back. Um, 
when Dax turned 13, he got that letter and he had to read it. And it's in there that we explain the importance of, you know, what mom and dad did and the dedication and how they're doing their best to raise them in a, in a godly home. But then that responsibility is on each one of us individually to place our faith in Christ. And so um, Dax has done that. He's placed his faith in Christ. And he's been wanting to get baptized for quite a while. Actually, we were visiting before Corona, I believe, weren't we? And so drove up from Lubbock, um, pumped that I get to be the one to baptize him today. And he told me he would come to church every week if his truck would get better gas mileage coming from Lubbock. So uh, love this kid, love his family, and, and glad to be a part of this day today. So Dax, have you placed your faith in Christ? All right. Do you want to follow him as a disciple? All right. Well, because of your public profession of faith in him and obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in his death. Grace to walk with him in a new life. Thanks, buddy. Not so little anymore. Are you glad to be here this morning? Good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm going to need some help this morning as well because what I'm going to talk about um, tends to be, you know, just information, and you might look at it and go, well, that's just information about a time that's coming in the distant future, or maybe in the near future, we don't know, um, and, and I don't want it to sound like, uh, if you're familiar with, uh, was it Stein that said, Bueller, Bueller, anyone, anyone, I don't want, I don't want to see your faces looking at me like that today, so help me out, I want to read to you in Revelation chapter 20 what I think are some of the most exciting verses in Scripture. Um, If you've ever struggled with sin, if you've ever wrestled with those things in your life and you're just wondering, is there ever going to come a time when all this stuff is behind us? Is there ever going to come a time when Satan gets put into his place um, and we can just kind of have a little Satan-free, sin-free season? This is it. And so Revelation chapter 20, the topic is the millennium. The question is, what is the millennium? And we're in a series called The End. We're looking at end-time events. And the reason... They were doing that is because people are asking the questions, are we in the last days? You, know, you, you see all the events going around our globe, and people are just naturally saying, hey, what's going on? Is this kind of the last days? Are we towards the end? And so we've been looking at some of these big events um, in Scripture. So we talked about um, as, as a woman goes into labor, you know, it begins with the, the labor pains, the birth pains, and the closer she gets to delivery, the, the more intense those uh, contractions get, and they get closer and closer together. And Jesus said, that's what the world's going to be like. There's going to be an increase, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famine, disease, all these things. But it's not the end. It's close to the end. Uh, and so then we talked about what is the next event to take place in the timeline, prophetically speaking. We believe, and I'm, I'm, uh, that's my hope and my joy in the rapture of the church. Um, and so we talked about that in week number two. And week number three, we looked at the tribulation, this time that's coming on the earth, a seven-year time of God's judgment on the earth. And we just looked at the first 21 months, the first quarter of what the Bible says that will happen in the time of tribulation. And you can discern from just the first 21 months, it's something that we don't want anything to do with. And if you've placed your faith in Christ, it's my conviction that um, he has not appointed us under wrath, but to receive salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Um, it's a time of Jacob's trouble, and so it's a time that Jesus said it's going to be like a time that has never been before and it'll never be again. It's intense, 
suffering and judgment of God on the earth, um, and that was the tribulation. And then the following week, uh, David spoke on what will believers be doing during this time of tribulation. You know, we're we in heaven. Are we going to just sit on clouds and eat angel food cake, play harps and stuff like that? What are we going to be doing? Um, and so he spoke on the judgment seat of Christ, which is the beam of judgment, um, and he also spoke on the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then last week we talked about this thing that all of Christendom agrees on is that one day, hallelujah, Jesus is going to return. And it's going to be a visible, visible, it's going to be powerful, the glorious return of Christ Jesus. The armies of heaven coming behind him. What a scene. Heaven unfolds. Christ returns to set up his kingdom on the earth, which is the subject of what we talk about today. So let me do this. Let me pray before we get into the word. And then as I read the word, listen, church, help me out. Because as we read this, and just put yourself in these shoes and imagine how awesome this day is going to be. Uh, And let me hear just a little bit more than, well, that's cool. All right, would you help me out with that? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the truth in your word. I thank you that you are trustworthy, that you're reliable, and that you love us enough to give us a big picture, to let us see, uh, Lord, not to have our eyes veiled or covered, but you give us a glimpse of what is to take place in the future. And more importantly, you give us a way to know with absolute confidence that we are in a right relationship with you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, I thank you so much for that. Would you please um, encourage us today through the text? Would you uh, use me, speak through me? Uh, Father, for your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Revelation chapter 20, uh, the only major text in the Bible that speaks specifically of this 1,000 years or millennial reign of Christ, first six verses, let's look at it. Then... I saw an angel coming down from heaven, and he had in his hand a key. It says, the key to the bottomless pit. So he's been delegated authority. It says, and a heavy chain in his hand. Now, what's he going to do with the key and with the, the chain in his hand? It says, he seized the dragon. In case you don't know who that is, that's in chapter 12 of Revelation. It says, that old serpent, that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the serpent that deceived Adam and Eve. It says, who is the devil, Satan? So get a picture of this. The angel comes out of heaven with a key to the bottomless pit with a heavy chain. and He grabs a hold of, he seizes the devil, and he chains him. And then it says, he threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a, a little while. Church, can I just tell you there's coming a day when the one that's caused us all the problems across the history of mankind is going to get what's coming to him. Hallelujah. <laughs> I quit. That's cool stuff right there, isn't it? The, the, the angel comes uh, with a key to the bottomless pit, with a chain, binds this deceiver, this accuser of the brethren, the one that's just tormented a mankind for years and years and years so that he can no longer deceive the, the nations for 1,000, say it, 1,000 years. That's a long time. And, and so the, the subject is this millennial reign of Christ. And so as we look at this, if you just take this, this chapter 20 and look at it by itself, uh, you'll get a reaction kind of like what you just gave me. It's like, that's cool. That's pretty neat. But when you take it and you contrast it against something much darker, it begins to shine even more. Much like if you're to go to a jewelry store and look at a diamond, 
you know, a good, you know, a good salesperson will bring the diamond out and you'll look it over and you're like, that's kind of a cool cut, but it just doesn't have that pop. It doesn't shine. It doesn't reflect the light like it's supposed to. And so a good salesman will pull this little black velvet board out from under the cabinet and they'll put it there on the counter and they'll put the ring on top of that. Why? Because contrasting that dark black velvet background against the beauty of a diamond makes that diamond stand out and pop. That's what makes us usually go over the top and spend way more money than we want to spend on a diamond. So this is what this is like to me. Chapter 20 is like the diamond, but it's against the backdrop, if you will. And let me just describe, what is the backdrop? Well, just a few things. Sin is increased. How many of you would agree that we live in a day and a time when it feels like sin is just even more increased than it's ever been ever before? Sin is increased. Hate, it seems like everybody hates somebody. One group hates another group, one political group, and it just doesn't matter. They just seem like hate has increased. It seems like there's no justice. We know there's justice. It's supposed to be blind, but sometimes we question whether there really is true justice. And you look around the world, and especially if you turn on the news or you look at the Facebook and wherever you get your news source on the Internet because everything on the Internet is correct and right and truthful, we know that we're, we're not experiencing much peace today in our world. There, there, there seems to be no peace, no justice, there's violence everywhere, there's looting, there's anarchy, there's riots in the street, there's sickness, there's disease, there's poverty, there's wickedness. It just seems like it is ever increasing. That is the dark black backdrop that we contrast this time in the future coming that is known as the millennial reign of Christ. And what is the millennial reign of Christ? And you could go through Old Testament prophecy scriptures and just point out many of the different characteristics, the cuts of the diamond, if you will, of what it says that that time will be like. And I'll just highlight three of them today. But just to give you a quick um, picture, it'll be a time of peace. Say peace. We need peace. It'll be a time of righteousness, absolute righteousness. It'll be a time of complete justice, a time of prosperity, in this world now, there's a lot of famine. It'll be a time of great prosperity. It'll be a time of great health. And it'll be, what's cool is it'll be a time of prolonged life. And it's, so it's with that image in mind that I want us to consider what is the millennium. What is it? We'll start with the name millennium. It comes from the Latin two words, milli and annum, and that just means 1,000 years. Now, there's some people that say 1,000 years is just, it's a figure of speech. It just means a long period of time. It's not literally 1,000 years, but if you continue to read these verses, um, chapter 20, verse uh, 6, or through verse 6, 1 through 6, and even verse 7, you will see the word thousand years is used six times. Six times thousand years. And so I'm thinking that if God wanted us to think it was just a figure of speech, a long period of time, he might have said for a long period of time, but he didn't. He said 1,000 years. And so I want you to get in your mind a time in the future, 1,000 years, that I believe is literal, a time when Christ will rule and reign on the earth. Now let's consider what happened in chapter 19. Chapter 19 is the glorious return of Christ coming with the armies of heaven. They defeat the enemy, so they annihilate a lot of the bad guys. And then immediately they take the false prophet and the beast and they throw them into the lake of fire. That's good so far, right? But how many know there's still the kingpin? We gotta deal with the kingpin? And that's the very beginning of the millennium when the angel comes out of the heavens with a key to the bottomless pit with a chain. He binds Satan. And I like the picture, throws him. Not like, hey, dude, go ahead and go. No, like, get in there. 
right? Throws him into the bottomless pit for 1,000 years. How cool is that going to be? So there are three views of the millennium. There's the post-millennium, which post means after, those that believe that Christ will return after the millennium. And so we are in the the church age now, and the thinking on this was the church age is going to usher in this season of righteousness. And as we begin to proclaim the gospel, as more and more people's lives are changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that um, the the millennium king will be ushered in, and, and it's going to be a perfect environment for Christ to return. He will return to that after the millennium. That's post-millennialism. And then there's the ah millennial. And when you put the word ah in front of a word, it negates that word. And so it just simply means no millennium. They, they think it's a spiritual millennium. I've got good friends that they say they're all millennialists, and they just believe that we are in it right now. That, that that reign began when Jesus ascended into heaven, and it'll come to a close when Jesus returns. And so they say that we're in the millennium now. I've got a problem with that. Because you don't get there um, taking scripture literal, and number one. Number two is there's this whole idea that Satan is locked up and bound for a thousand years. Can I ask you a question, church? Have you ever experienced a season in life when it felt like Satan was um, off limits and, and bound away from you to deceive you and influence you? I, just go back in the, in the Bible all the way to the book of Acts, the beginning of the church. Read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, and we'll know that throughout history, Satan has had a heyday with creation has he not so satan's not yet locked up and so i believe it is a future event which is the third view of the millennial and that's pre-millennial and what that means is pre is before and so if you're keeping up with where we've been and so those of you that are joining us today i'm I'm sorry just hang in there so we believe you know jesus ascended into heaven um, after his death burial his resurrection he ascended into heaven that began the church age we are in the church age now We believe that that church age will come to an end um, at at the rapture of the church. Some don't believe it is exactly there. Some think it's in the middle of the way or at the end of the tribulation. But we all agree that there will be a time of great um, distress on the earth, tribulation. And then after the tribulation, Christ returns, the glorious return of Christ, to set up his millennial, pre-millennial. So, and I believe that when you take scripture as, as I try to, um, and you look at it literally, some people will say, oh, it's just all symbolism, symbolism. No, I take the word of God literally. Obviously, there are things in there that are symbolic. So I'm not saying everything. Jesus says, I am the door. It's not literally a door. We understand what is symbolism and what is literal, but I believe when you look at the timeline of events that take place um, in the prophetic book of, of Revelation, that it naturally flows after chapter 19 right into chapter 20. In fact, chapter 20, verse 1 begins with then, or some of your versions will say, and I saw. And that's repeated over and over if you go backwards all the way to chapter 19, verse 1. And so it's a continued revelation that John's saying, heaven was opened up, and then I saw this, and then I saw this, and then I saw this. And in chapter 20, verse 1, then I saw it. It's a continued action from chapter 19 to 20. Jesus returns, he establishes his millennial reign for, I believe, a literal 1,000 years. So now, before I lose you, and you're like, all right, saying you're starting to get there, you're losing me, it's too much information, Um, I had a really difficult time focusing in school because of that stuff, And, and so let me just cut to this question, why do we need a millennium? Why not just skip to eternity, right? I mean, I'm thinking heaven sounds good to me, why not just go ahead and skip to that, why do we need this 1,000-year reign of Christ. 
And there's several different prophecies that we could look at to explain that, but I'm just going to focus on three reasons, three purposes of this millennial reign of Christ. And the first one is to reward God's people. There are many chapters um, in the Old Testament, some in the New Testament, that refer to when Christ returns, he's going to bring his reward with him. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10 says, yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. How many know he's coming in power? This is the glorious return of Christ. He's coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. Colossians 3.24 says, Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that master you are serving is Christ. Revelation 22.12 says, Look, Jesus is saying this, Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. So there's this time in the future when Jesus will return, he'll establish his kingdom, and he will reward his people. That's one of the reasons for this millennial reign. A second one, and I think is an important one, is to fulfill prophecies. See, I believe that there are prophecies that have been, that have been promised to Israel, to David, to Abraham, um, that have not yet been fulfilled. And God is not in the habit of breaking his promises. He's a promise keeper, amen? And so I believe there are some things that have not yet happened that will be realized in this millennial reign of Christ. For instance, Israel. Israel was promised land from the border of Egypt all the way to the river Euphrates. They have yet to occupy all of that land. They've yet to be in control of all that land. Not even in the glory days of King Solomon. So I believe in the millennial reign of Christ, there's a time coming when Israel will finally, finally realize the fulfillment of that prophecy that was promised to them years and years ago. So there's that promise. There's the promise to David that someone, one of his descendants, would literally, physically sit on his throne. Who is it speaking of? It's speaking of Jesus. And so there's a time coming in the future <clears throat> that Jesus will sit on a throne, literally. Now, Psalm 72, 11 says, all kings will bow before him. All the kings well, on the earth, all kings will bow before him, and all the nations will serve him. Zechariah 9.10, the last part of it says, His realm will stretch from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Talking about this Jesus reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords in this millennial reign. Uh, and so we know that there are these prophecies that have not yet been fulfilled. And just think about it for a second. When Jesus came to the earth the first time, he came as a little baby, a humble baby in a manger. Remember it? And we, we celebrate it in Christmas. We celebrate the advent of Christ. He came as uh, the, 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 the Messiah, but he, he came as, as, as a baby in a manger, and it kind of weirded people out. We're like, man, we were expecting a, a Messiah, this mighty warrior-type Messiah, and, and Jesus came in a manger. He lived 30, 33 years, and he was rejected by his people, and he died on the cross, and he was crucified. He never had a chance to occupy a literal throne of his ancestor David. Guess what? The millennial reign of Christ is his opportunity to do just that. How many know he paid a price for it? So another reason that we'll see that is to fulfill prophecies. And I, and I was listening to David Jeremiah a couple days ago and he mentioned something I thought was a really good point. One of the other purposes or reasons for the millennial reign of Christ will be to reemphasize man's depravity. How many know we're just messed up? 
I mean, look at somebody next to you and say, you're messed up. Because we are. You're not lying. We, we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, no, not one. And so one of the purposes during this, this time in the millennium is, is to reemphasize that fact that all of us are just jacked up. And the need for what Christ did on the cross um, and the purpose in that, the necessity of Christ's death. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden before the serpent showed up. It's perfection. It was awesome, right? And then Satan said, the, the serpent said, did, did God really say that? It began with a question, and then, you know, Eve ate of the apple, and that's why the, the MacBook Pro that I have now has the bite out of the apple. I'm, I'm convinced it's the devil, right? And so it, that began the whole chain reaction. This whole world has been infected with, with sin, and so Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment, and even in that perfect environment, they gave in to sin. Imagine this, 1,000 years of perfection, 1,000 years of justice, of righteousness, of purity, of, 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 of just everything you could imagine what this time of the millennial kingdom would be like. 1,000 years of that, the ideal environment, and at the end of that, to stand before the Almighty God judge at the great white throne judgment and say, you know what, I just didn't have a good environment. He's like, really? You had a thousand years. You had a thousand years of perfection, a perfect environment to submit to this king and his kingdom. Oh, here's another one. The devil made me do it. <laughs> no, try again. He's been locked up for a thousand years. And see, what I think is at the end of this, man will be without excuse. We'll not be able to stand before a righteous God and say, you know what, I just didn't have the right environment or I just didn't, you know, the devil made me do it and, and it's his fault and we'll all stand with no excuse before the King of Kings and the Little Lords. I think that's one of the other purposes is to reemphasize man's depravity and the necessity of Christ's death. Let me ask you a question. Are you grateful for what Christ did on the cross? It's so crucial and so important. And so when you consider the characteristics of this kingdom, I mentioned a few of them briefly as we're talking about the diamond against that dark backdrop. But quickly, I want to focus on three of them. And, and the first one is, what will the kingdom be like? Well, it'll be a time of peace. Do you know that our, our country, our world, the globe has not ever really experienced full peace? A time when people aren't going to war with other people, there's no fighting and, 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 and no you know, division. It, this is a time that there will be great peace, an absence of conflict. Some of you guys are in here, and you're like with your wives, and you're thinking, man, that sounds really good, an absence of conflict. It'll be a time of, of peace, of great peace, an absence of conflict, but also one of the verses that I used to love growing up, because I just imagined what it would be like, is this idea of the animal kingdom, the peace that's even in the animal kingdom and, and as it relates to people. Isaiah 11 says it this way, verses 6 through 9. In that day, speaking of this millennial reign of Christ, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And the little child will, <clears throat> will lead them all. It says the cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. Check this out. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Can you just imagine what an environment that would be? 
to know that this peace extends even into the animal kingdom. And I'm comforted. I had an experience with that this week. Um, it's also a time when an Australian shepherd will not murder chickens because uh, I had to deal with that this week. And uh, just to see this absolute peace uh, from man and in the animal kingdom, can you see how when you pull it against that backdrop that we, we all know and experience how amazing this time, this millennial reign of Christ is going to be? It'll be a time of peace. It'll be time of prosperity. Our world has experienced a lot of suffering over the years uh, with poverty. A lot of people, um, you know, and I've heard people say before here in the States, you take somebody that's very poor and they're considered rich compared to a lot of the third world countries. Our country has experienced much poverty. In the millennial reign of Christ, it'll be a time of great prosperity. Ezekiel 34, verses 26 and 27 say, I will bless my people and their homes around my holy hill. And in the proper season, I will send the showers they need. There will be showers of blessing. The orchards and fields of my people will yield bumper crops, and everyone will live in safety. Zechariah 8, 12, and again, this is just a sample of many other verses that speak of the prosperity that will go on during the time of the kingdom. It says, for I am planting seeds of peace and prosperity among you. The grapevines will be heavy with fruit. The earth will produce its crops and the heavens will release the dew. And so again, this time in the millennium, it's going to be a time of peace, time of prosperity, plenty, never again want, never again poverty. And another one that just blows my mind is this prolonged life. You know, we, we have these goals in our life today. Like, man, if I could just make it to 100. I mean, the way I live and as honored as I am, I'm thinking 70 would be cool, right? But we, we, we have these goals. Maybe we reach 100. The Bible says, you know, men will live to 70 or 80 with good health. And so to hear someone that reaches 100, 115 is like, wow. During the millennial reign of Christ, um, all of that thinking is out the window. Listen to what Isaiah 65 says, verses 19 and 20. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people, and the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. The King James Version says, the child shall die an 100 years old, and people were like, dude, he was just a child at 100. Can you imagine 100 years of age dying in the millennial kingdom? They go, man, he was way too young to die. It's like a child. Scripture says it'll be a time of prolonged life. And I just, again, it, it's a tendency for us to take something like this that's a future event and just, you know, you remember the Charlie Brown cartoon? Some of you are probably hearing that right now. As I'm talking, but that, that's a temptation that we have. We, we tend to do that. But when you really consider the backdrop of what we know and experience is just life, and to know that there's a time coming in the future when everything that we've experienced on this earth is not going to compare to this 1,000 years. And let me just tell you that 1,000 years is a prelude to heaven. It's just a sample of what is to come later. This time of the millennial reign of Christ is going to be an amazing Time. And I don't know about you, but as a follower of Jesus Christ, this gets me stoked. 
Because I have hope in life after death. I have hope that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I have hope that one day, if I'm dead when Christ returns, there will be a resurrection of those who are dead, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I will be present and accounted for on the first day of the millennial reign of Christ. How cool is that? So the question is, will you be there? If the millennial Christ, uh, the millennial reign of Christ is, I believe, a literal event that will take place, the question then is, uh, who's there, who's not there? Those that are there are those who place their faith in Christ, in short. Those who place their faith in Jesus Christ will be the ones that are there. There will be those that go through the tribulation that will go through it, and they will survive. They'll also be there. He says, Then I saw thrones and the people sitting on them that had that been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark. This is the time of the tribulation. He says, And they had not received the mark on their forehead or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And he says, this is the first resurrection. Not first as in chronological order, because Jesus was the first resurrection. Amen? And there were other people that were raised from the graves when Jesus um, was crucified. And then, you know, in, in, in the tribulation, there's the two witnesses that are martyred, and they're resurrected. And here we see those that die because of the faith are resurrected. We believe in the resurrection of the, of the dead at the time when Christ returns for the church. And so the first resurrection, I would say the group in stages, the ones that are part of the first resurrection are the ones that have placed faith in Christ. Jesus, you've heard me say it a hundred times. The most important decision we make on this earth is what do we do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we place our faith in Jesus or do we reject his offer of salvation? It's a very important decision, amen? And so those who place their faith in Christ will be a part of the kingdom uh, that is to come to rule and reign with him. What are we going to do? I don't know. I really don't care. I'm just going to be there, and that's good enough with me. So I'm like, you've been faithful with little things. I'll make you ruler over 10 cities. Cool, I'm good with that, but I just want to know I'm going to be where the one that made it all possible um, is going to be, right? To rule and reign with the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one that died on the cross for me. I just want to be counted as a part of the millennial kingdom. And the way we do that is by placing faith in Christ because it says after that thousand years, there's another resurrection. And this resurrection is those who have not placed their faith in Christ. These are the unbelievers and they will be raised from their graves to judgment, which is the next event is the great white throne judgment. And at that point, it's too late to place faith in Christ. So hear me say this, today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable day to trust in Christ for salvation, right? Either we're going to bow before him today. I heard someone say it's, it's now or later. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to God. We can choose today to do that by placing our faith in Christ, to yield to him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? And when we do that, so we can have a great hope, a great expectation, anticipation of what is to come in the future. Even though we don't understand all the details about it, we just know that we will be a part of it. And I just think God is awesome this way, and he's worthy of all of our praise, all of our honor, and all of our worship. Amen? Blessed and holy are those who share in this first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who place their faith in Christ who will be a part of this resurrection. So... My question would be, will you be a part? Do you believe in 
Christ. That is the millennial reign of Christ. There's a lot of different opinions on it. As I said, three different views of it. But I am convinced that God loves us enough that he gave us a glimpse of what to expect in the future. Kind of as a warning to be prepared for that. And if you, if you put it there, I have no reason to doubt that he will fulfill that. And so, church, our, our role here is we're the, the salt, we're the light. We're to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of Jesus. We're to do the work of missionaries. We're to tell people about Jesus while there is time. The one day when this church age is all closed up and done and, and finished, then things continue to progress, tribulation, and this time of the, uh, the, the millennial kingdom, the millennial reign of Christ. And then it's all coming to a finale, and that grand finale is one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to God, give an account of our lives before him. And to some who have not placed faith in him, they'll say, man, I did a lot of good works, I did a lot of cool things, I went to church, I tithed, whatever. And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. It's not about what you do, it's about who you know. Amen? You hear me screaming that? That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the hope and eternity that we have. I thank you for the hope uh, in the future that we have, that there is a time coming when the great adversary that's caused us so much problems is going to be locked up. And I love the imagery of him being chained up and sealed in, in the bottomless pit, not to deceive the nations any longer. Lord, I, I look forward to the time when he's no longer impacting in a negative way this earth that we live on. And God, I thank you that you've made a way for us. Lord, even though we're sinners, even though that we all miss the mark, your word says that the wages of sin is death. We know that that's what we deserve is death, eternal death separated from you. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift that you offer to each one of us for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that you love the world so much that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, I thank you for the gospel. And I pray that for two groups of people, that are those of us that are followers of Christ, that we would be encouraged today, we would be inspired knowing just how much you love us and how much you have, uh, Lord, none of this has taken you by surprise, but you've got a grand design, a grand plan, and you'll see it through. Father, I pray that it puts a spring in our step and a little confidence in our walk. Lord, in an, an eager expectation of a future event, the hope of being with you during this time. And Father, for those that have not placed their faith in you, my prayer is that today they would realize their need for you. Or that today they would acknowledge their brokenness. They could acknowledge that they have sinned and that they're in need of a Savior. And Lord, to know that the good news is that Savior is already Come and gone. He reigns and he sits at the right hand of the Father today in heaven. Lord Jesus died on the cross for those sins. And when we just simply say, Lord, I believe that you died for me, when we place our trust and our hope in you, Lord, you said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so, Father, I pray that you would just um, draw them to yourself. We know that no man can come to you unless they're drawn by the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work in our hearts today and uh, Lord, that you would draw those people to yourself for your glory. Uh, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.